0: at the end of the first week at CVS where I'm teaching this year and um, it's been a good week and um, yeah, it's just um, um, yeah, it's been good and it's also real good to be at Hillcrest again after seems like quite a few years since we've been here Um, but yeah, enjoying um, our little um, fellowship time here today I'm looking forward to it I've decided to speak on the subject of uh, confession this morning. It's a spiritual discipline, and spiritual disciplines are um, commandments, I think, teachings in the Bible that talk about, um, well, when we practice spiritual disciplines, they are teaching us something about ourselves, and they teach us something about God and others. And, for example, uh, tithing. Uh, The reason I think we tithe, the reason that the Bible instructs or teaches us to give 10% is that it is an instruction to us that all of it belongs to God. And when we do that, when we give generously and we act upon that teaching, it teaches us something about ourselves and, and about others, and it teaches us something about God. What confession... Is, is just like that. So I've decided to uh, spin through this uh, topic here this morning on the subject of confession. It's a, something that we do that teaches us something about ourselves and about God and about others. Some examples of confession in the Bible are Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, the priests would daily go into the temple and confess. The sins of the people. That's in the Old Testament. People like Ezra and Nehemiah, Daniel and Job, they spent time not only confessing their sins, but confessing on behalf of the of others. The other people that were involved in their lives, uh, the nation of Israel, they would, that, that's just interesting in and of itself. I'm not exactly sure uh, what entirely to make of that, but they, they did that. They would confess for the sins of other people. We'll be looking at a few stories here, and especially I'd like to uh, finish by looking at Psalm 32, which is an outstanding psalm. We already read several verses from there this morning. I thought that was pretty neat. Throughout the New Testament, the teaching and practice of confession is noticeable. Um, The practice of confession is talked about in Mark chapter 1 in Matthew chapter 3. In Acts chapter 19, there's illustrations of confession. The familiar one in 1 John 1.9 that says that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. James 5, verse 16, is a very interesting one in the sense that it seems to connect confession with not only spiritual but also physical healing. I find that very interesting and very instructive. I don't feel like I know very much about that other than that that's the context in which James 5 is given. So there's, yeah, so I want to circle back uh, the end of this sermon here and, and look at Psalm 32. When I was a teenager, um, I was probably wired sort of like maybe others of you are or uh, were. Um, when I was an early teenager, I remember confessing things to my dad um, often. Uh, relatively often, I think there was a time where I would regularly confess things to him such as oversleeping, and I would confess things that when I was said something a little mean to my sister or brother or something like that, I would uh, confess if I was in, you know did something unkind in some form, and I remember one time talking to my dad, um, I think it was kind of in that i 'm pretty sure it was in that same stage of my life. And I confessed to my dad, I said, I am sorry for anything that I might have done that uh, was not right. And I I believe there's, like I said, I believe there's people here that understand that um, and recognize the tenderness of my conscience at that stage in my life. And dad recognized that too. My dad, um, at that time, throughout that whole time, was very patient with me. But I remember specifically when I made that confession, he uh, stopped me and gave me a little bit of teaching on the doctrine of confession. I don't remember specifically what he said, but I do remember um, coming away from that understanding that well one of the things that I, I think I do remember him saying was that my standing with God was not depending dependent on me repeating my mistakes or my feelings of shortcoming to him—that's Dad—and um, I, I think that was an, is something, or was at least that I took home from that, con- or took away from that conversation. So, what does a healthy practice of confession look like? What is the um, the practice of confession? How does it? Um, yeah, what's the correct way of thinking? Here's how I think I thought as a child or as a, as a teenager. I, I think I had been taught that confession, uh, that forgiveness, let me say that correctly, I think I thought that forgiveness involves being contrite. I was correct in that. Having a heart that is not proud, that is bowed down to others and especially to God. I was correct in that. Somehow I took that further to understand that to mean, or that contrite heart to mean, that God would only forgive me if I demonstrated enough of remorse, or if I was sorry enough, or I chose the correct words. Um, then there would be forgiveness. Uh, I was incorrect in that. I think further at the time, I believed that God granted forgiveness in sort of equal measure or proportion to the amount of remorse that I showed for my shortcomings. And that, I was wrong in that. That's incorrect theology. I think it's a wrong understanding of confession. God's forgiveness is not dependent on that alone. God forgives because it is God's nature to forgive. That's who he is. That's what he does. That is one of the foundational Things that we need to understand about God. And when we come to him in confession, his forgiveness is full and free. It's like a river that flows out of him. And God's forgiveness, as it's described in the Bible, is given freely and given fully, always. It's different than we are, right? and when you don't feel or sense God's forgiveness it is not that God is withholding forgiveness from you it is not that God God does not wait to forgive us until we're sufficiently sorry <clears throat> god forgives because he is good he is compassionate he is merciful and it is he is gracious I believe that the discipline or the action of confession is stepping into that river that comes from God, the compassion, the kindness, the mercy, the grace that comes from God. When we confess our faults, Hiomer, he forgives because that's his nature. That's who he is. That's how he, that's how he does, and that's something that we can depend on. Confession, I think, means that we agree with God about anything in relation to us. God knows everything about us. And when we confess, what we're doing is agreeing with God, things that he already knows. We agree with his assessment of our actions. We name our sin to God and to others. And I think that this part of forgiveness is necessary, not not so much that God needs us to do it so that he becomes aware of it. We don't confess to God because he's unaware of what's happening, but it does something in our minds when we take that step of agreeing with God. Confession is not about convincing God to forgive me or being properly and thoroughly remorseful to the point where he grants forgiveness based on our shame that we express to him or whatever. Uh, there are three primary themes for the practice of confession that I want to talk about here today, and we'll probably sort of spin through these um, yeah, rather quickly. There's a lot that could be said that I'm not going to take the time to talk about. I think one of the themes of the practice of confession is that it is for the purpose of our taking responsibility for our actions and our attitudes, our words. It, it means that I, I own it. it. It's something that uh, it becomes a sense of responsibility where, I, uh, yeah, where I, I take that responsibility. Secondly, I think that confession is necessary in one sense to set us free from feelings of shame or unworthiness or tension that accumulates, especially not between us and God, but between others. And we know what it's like when we do something that we shouldn't do, we say something that's unkind. It can easily create a, a, um, a tension. And when we confess, when we speak into that situation, it. Um, it helps to dumb down the tension of our foolish and hurtful choices. And I think most importantly, confession opens our lives to the healing that can come from God, that river that we can step into, where God's grace and his kindness starts to to cover those areas of, and I should say, acknowledged areas of imperfection, struggle, and weakness just some practical ways that we can confess. I've entitled it the seven A's of confession, and I borrowed this from um, a place, I forget where I found this, but it's uh, not original with me. Seven A's of confession. I think it's important, first of all, to address people involved. When we confess, sometimes we can stoop to the, the part of confessing to people that were not involved. And there's nothing completely wrong with that. But I think for genuine confession to really be done well, it needs to be to the person or persons that are directly involved. And, um, yeah, we we should not think that it is completely our choosing to decide who's involved and who isn't. I think our actions sometimes can have... Our words and actions can have some very far-flung effects, and it affects people even that hear about it, um, maybe even beyond the first person that we um, said or did something to. But we need to address those that are involved and um, uh, take responsibility in that way. The second one is apologize. I think there's a point in our confession where we need to express our sorrow. Words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Those are all important parts of owning um, our actions. Brokenness. Realizing that there was damage done. There was hurt brought into the situation. Apologize. And then I think it's very important and critical for us to admit what we did. To say what, what we was done or what was spoken. That's especially true when it's possible. Uh, sometimes we may not be completely understanding of of our actions or the, how it affected other people, but if we spoke words unkindly, generally we sort of have a feeling that we tend to know, especially if we 're familiar or know well the other person well we we sort of know right we sort of know what we did and name that be thorough with that i don 't I think general confessions often tend to have general healing uh, can, can be can associate itself with general confessions. I think, on the other hand, I think we should also um, be careful that we don't stoop to um, sort of a, a uh, sense of pleasure in airing our weaknesses, especially um, dirty laundry or something like that. Confession, I think, can be used in a way of spiritual aggression, and we need to be careful about this. I um, I think especially uh, of things like jealousy or attitudes of bitterness. Um, We can use it to sort of make other people feel bad sometimes. It can be sort of a calculated assault. I think we need to be very concerned and careful about that. But when there's conflict and you know it and you know they know it, that's especially when you need to be concerned and confess your, your actions. The other person might be 95% wrong, but you take responsibility for your 5%. Avoid using words like if, or but, or maybe. When you are in the process of confessing to other people, don't use phrases such as if I offended you, or maybe I was wrong, if you hadn't said that, I'm sorry, but those are, those are tendencies that we can use. Or we can even just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, I meant it as a joke. Um, avoid those sorts of things. I think it's important for us in our confession to ask how we can help. Are there boundaries that you would like for me to observe moving forward? Are there things that you would like for me to do in addition to this conversation? Where do we go from here? I think it's important when we do that to then accept the consequences. Sometimes the other person may be hurt to the point where he or she feels that there's certain places or certain areas that we need to, um, yeah, there's certain healings or certain conversations that need to follow this conversation. Accept those consequences. Don't cover your sin. Confess it. And then seventh, and I think most important, change. Alter your behavior. You won't be perfect, but if you work on it, you'll get better. It's just like any other thing in sports or whatever. You work on it, you eventually start to catch on. And there are some illustrations in the Bible. The prodigal son. Um, Very fascinating to see the process of confession in his life. And then uh, to talk about being set free from shame and unworthiness and tension when we make bad choices. I think refusing to engage in confession is like sitting out in the sun too long. There's consequences as a result of that. It brings harm not so much to others. The sun doesn't get harmed when we sit out in the sun too long. We're the ones that get harmed. We get sunburned. And I think not admitting sin can, can in many ways, uh, yeah, it brings a lot of harm often to us more than to others. It's like it, dragging an unbearably heavy weight along behind us. It trips up others, but it has much deeper and stronger effects on us and how we think and how we process life as we go. Sin builds walls and sin thrives in isolation. I think you have had enough experience to to know that. Sin is quick to keep us from drawing closer to God and sin almost always leads to other sins and other patterns of misbehavior in our lives. So when we don't share our weaknesses when we don't confess when we don't uncover our weaknesses it leads to deeper and more involving problems in our lives think about it has your child or has your parent or has your friend or your spouse ever come to you and confess something it feels good right it's a it's a big deal when a person takes responsibility for his or her problem, it just swings the door open wide to, to healing to come in. We all sin, we all have shortcomings, we all fail, we all do things that, that are wounding or hurtful to others, and sometimes it's crazy how hard we work to try to convince people that we've never done, that we never do anything wrong. Well. It's, it's futility, really. And confession, I think, kind of takes care of that. It clears the air. It requires bravery and courage on our part. Boldness, humility, all of those things come into play. It's so important for us, though, to do it. And then to open our lives to the healing presence of God. And I think this is the part that I'd especially like to leave with you today. When we confess... Like I said, it's like stepping into the river of God's grace. It brings cleansing and healing, not only to the relationship, but it does something really important to us. It clears our ability. It opens up the ability for us to receive new and improved and developed truth about God and who he is. When we confess, there is clear spiritual healing that can come to me and like james says even further it brings aspects of physical healing james the brother of jesus explains that there is physical healing confess your faults one to another pray for one another that ye may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works that's in another translation james 5:16 I think thirdly, confession has an aspect of setting us free from habitual things. So, if I have a, a um, big mouth and am constantly speaking my mind and being wounding with my words, when I start a pattern of confession, it starts to bring change, right? You get tired of constantly needing to make confessions, and it starts. It has just a, a simple effect of me being more conscious and being more um, disciplined in my words and my choice of words. So it has a ability to set us free. It breaks the chain of events that um, I fall toward habitually. It releases us to to walk the correct path. Fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. In Proverbs 28:13, a familiar proverb: He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I love that. Series of events there. Look at the verbs in there. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Whosoever confesseth. Words that are sort of similar. Covering. Confessing. (laughs) They're extreme opposites. Confesseth and forsaketh them. That's the person who receives mercy. So now I've come full circle by reminding you that while our failures and shortcomings and sins involve other people. Usually that's the case. There are some, obviously, that we um, have that are completely um, on us. They don't involve other people as much. But generally, our sins and our failures create barriers even in relationships with other people. There's always the nature of true confession of sin and that is true brokenness. If the confession that I'm making is just sort of, you know, I slipped up or um, I meant it as a joke or that's not really what I felt in my heart or that's not who I am and that sort of thing. Um, It's not really like me to have those sorts of thoughts. I think that true confession Takes ownership of the fact that this was in my heart. It came from somewhere. It didn't just come in a vacuum. There's things going on in my heart that creates tension so that when I'm in a situation, I said what I said because of that. I appreciate in Psalm 51 David's confession before God. Ultimately, even though others feel the sin that's going on in our lives or the tension that's going on in our hearts, Ultimately, all sin is against God, and I think it's really important for us to remember that. David says in Psalm 51, verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned. David had sinned majorly against some other people, but he understood that ultimately everything that he had done was against God. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. If you have your Bibles and you'd like, you can open to Psalm 32. There's, this is just such a, a blessing to look at this psalm. I love this psalm. It talks about covering up sin in our lives and our tendency to, to do that. It, it, um, yeah, it, it talks about that. It also talks about the right way to cover up sin. and I'd like for you to, to notice that. It, it contrasts our efforts to cover our sin or confessing our sin and allowing God to cover it. See, it works both ways. When we cover our sin, it's highly unsuccessful. But when we allow God to cover our sin, we receive forgiveness. And this psalm gives us an intriguing choice. It begins by talking about the blessings that we experience when God covers our sins. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. And guile is just another word for deceit. When we cover, there's a deception that starts to set in, and it never is isolated, like I said before. It, it involves that deceit, that level of deceit, at work in our lives, starts to affect a bunch of different areas in our lives, and often areas that we, that are unrelated, become affected by this level of deceit that sets in. <clears throat> Allowing God to cover our sins—it's sort of like a twin blessing, blessed. Happy is he whose transgression. Happy is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And the word imputed there is an accounting term that it's like a ledger, a checkbook ledger. You write it in so that you can refer to it later. And when confession takes place, God wipes the ledger clean. It's, it's no longer there. It's no longer outstanding like in a checkbook ledger. God says, I bring no charge against you. You're forgiven. You're clean. The the record is is erased. So that clean record is something that we want. So now in verses 3 to 5, he goes on to talk about the burdens that we bear when we try to cover our sin. When we try to allow that deceit to um, make people believe that we're not at fault. When we didn't do anything, that um, often people know that we did it. And along with that cover-up also comes, um, yeah, the desire for us to, to make us believe that what we did was not that bad, and, and more. He talks about a time when he kept silent. Notice verse 3. When I kept silence, when we just shut up, we choose not to allow um, our words, or we, we, it, it's tied in with this deceit that we try to do. We're trying to cover it up. There's a number of reasons why we can withhold confession. I'm sure that we could quickly name pride. We tend to think that people are going to think less of us if we confess or if they find out that there's a problem in our lives. That's that's one of the original lies from Satan. It's the other way around. Almost always it's the other way around. Um, I'm sure that you can think of times where maybe you didn't confess because you thought people would think less of you. Or maybe I've had an experience from other people to you. When somebody confesses, when you confess, it allows other people to enter into your life, and there's always, almost always a good feeling that comes with that. So pride is a problem. We withhold confession sometimes, I think, out of a sense of despair that we feel in our lives. We're down on ourselves because of what we've done or what we've said. And so we withhold confession because we are nursing that feeling of despair. And that has a real crippling effect on us. And it's almost never isolated. It affects other areas of our lives as well. Our attitude is affected. Our attitude toward people and toward life is affected. Look at what he says in verse 4. Day and night, all day long, 24-7, this despair is weighing on him. The moisture is turned into the drought of summer, and I think it's interesting that uh, I think it's maybe a musical term, Selah, comes after that. Stop and think about that. There's a rest or a pause there. Allow that to sink into your minds. When we keep silence, our bones wax old. It has a physical effect on us. And then finally, in verse five, David is at the, pointing, the, the point of uh, the breaking point. He's moved from the silence or the the waste of silence, the weariness of guilt, and he starts to put his confession into words. And then we can see the forgiveness that comes into our lives. I'd like to just turn now and talk about the, the benefits of confession. He talks about a different kind of covering in the rest of the psalm here. At the beginning of the psalm, he's talking about us, trying to cover our sins, and I'm choosing my words carefully there, trying to cover our sins. On the flip side, when we allow God to cover our sins, when we place our sins under God's watch and put our sins in his care, there is literally a covering that takes place, A, a correct kind of covering. When we take cover in God, when we Allow him to uh, oversee our areas of weakness. God literally does cover. Let the righteous, let the godly pray to God. Verse 6. For this show everyone that is godly. Pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh thee. And, uh, in the NIV, he's talking about being swallowed up by rivers or things that are out of our control and that's the picture that he talks about in relation to God's forgiveness it starts to wash in over us and we become under the control of God what a wonderful thing when you make God your hiding place when you make God your hiding place God surrounds you with his unfailing love he covers the areas that when we stop trying to control the things in our lives, um, we receive um, that protection and that love. How exciting is that? <clears throat> and then in verse 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. He He's calling attention to the fact um, that, the The happiness the the joy, the peace, the uh, energy that comes from having a clean heart, a clean record. the upright in heart are those that have acknowledged what is going on in their heart. The upright in heart are the people who have uncovered their sin to others and before others, and God in turn has filled their lives with. Happiness, peace, joy. So the question that I have this morning, actually three questions as I close, I ask you, who is covering your sin? Are you covering your sin or trying to cover your sin? Have you, or have you asked God to cover your sin? Have you asked God to cover areas in your life that are, um, not as they ought to be? Are there habits? Are there patterns in your words and actions that God wants to bring healing to? Are there have you been playing the silence game with God and trying to keep those hidden from other people? Or have you allowed God to cover your sins? Have you allowed God to cover the areas of weakness? God invites us to pray that he may be found in this Um, in this psalm pray that he may be found it's a wonderful thing to be under God's hand of discipline in our lives to be in his hands and when we are we're in that river of grace surrounded washed over by his protection in the stream of God's grace my prayer is that all of us would find cover in that we would be able to trust in Jesus and we would be Happy, like the man or woman that's talked about here who confesses his sins or her sins, whose sin is covered by Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your gift of grace and blessing, your mercy on us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to allow you to wash over us and allow your power to work in our lives and to bring cleansing and and um, healing and to us personally, to our relationships, to those around us. I pray that you would help us to be motivated and energized by that love at work in our lives. And I pray that you would give us hearts of humility and hearts that are contrite, contrite before you, that we would be um, willing to be transparent in the sense that we do not try to convince ourselves and others that we, are, that we have no faults. Again, we pray for your grace and blessing in all of this. We ask through Christ. Amen.